Welcome to episode 57 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Can you believe it? We launched the first 40 miles podcast a year ago tomorrow with the first five episodes. It was really fun to see by the end of December, we had a thousand downloads of the show. And then we were just blown away when by February, we had reached 10,000 listens. And now looking back, it's just amazing. I mean, it's over half a million listens at this point. That is amazing. I have to say our audience is the best audience out there. We have just engaged, dynamic, positive listeners. It's just been a ton of fun to interact on Facebook and Twitter and just share that love of backpacking. Well, today on The First 40 Miles, we'll tackle an issue that no presidential candidate has had the courage to tackle, and we have the numbers to back it up. Then on today's top five list, a whimsical wish list of impossible gifts. On the Summit Gear Review, a 100-year-old piece of paper that can withstand a winter rainstorm or blizzard. Next on the Backpack Hack of the Week, a simple, kind of embarrassing way to keep your feet dry. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, our family has begun watching the presidential debates in preparation for the presidential election in 2016. However, one hot topic that no one has had the courage to address is thermal neutrality. As outdoors people, we believe strongly in thermal neutrality. And that means no matter the outside temperature, we are firm believers that every human being should maintain a 98.6 core body temperature. And we stand behind any candidate who will block the wind so that we can maintain our core body temperature. Or on a cold day, we could stand in front of any candidate who is uh, blowing a lot of hot wind. (laughs) That would do it too. Well, I love it. You know, thermal neutrality sounds super political, but all it means is that we buy, plan, wear and layer gear that allows us to be thermally neutral in cold weather and thermally neutral in hot weather. And we have no desire to have a higher body temperature than others. You know, sure, there are people out there who are in the upper 1% with core body temperatures above 104.2. And of course, there will always be those people who are just barely getting by with 98.2 degrees. But if we fail to find a leader who can take a firm stand, we could be facing a crisis with thermal neutrality. What's your plan? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Mr. Legler. I have a three-point plan that shows how we can get our citizens to remain thermally neutral. Number one, proper clothing that can be used for layering. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm not cutting that. So we believe in proper clothing that can be used for layering. Number two, you need a proper EN rated bag. EN is kind of a new rating system that is a more accurate reflection of 
the range that your gear can handle. And you'll find that EN rating on sleeping bags these days. Uh, I don't know if it's on anything else. Yeah, I haven't noticed it on anything else. I mean, hopefully it will become such a widely accepted standard and a very accurate standard so that people can use it on other things like puffies and pads maybe. So when you're looking for a proper EN rated bag, you'll want to take into consideration if you sleep hot or cold or if you're male or female. Those things really play into how you'll feel in a sleeping bag. And then number three on my three-point plan for thermal neutrality is to use a pad with a corresponding R value that matches the outside temperature. So those three things, proper clothing, proper bag, and a proper pad, will guarantee that you remain thermally neutral. So clothing, we've talked about before, how it's better to add and remove layers as you hike rather than to allow yourself to get too hot when you get sweaty and then when you stop the exertion, you get too cold because you were sweaty. Or on the other hand, hiking too cold, you know, with just not enough layers on, you, you want to be in that neutral zone. And sleeping bags are easy enough. They have that rating right on them. They'll say, you know, 28 degrees or 15 or 30 or whatever it might be. The R value of sleeping pads, we talked about R value a couple of episodes ago when we reviewed the Thermarest X-Therm sleeping pad, but let's dive into that one a little bit. I mean, that's not a temperature rating. It'll say like R 5.0 or R 3.0. So how do we correlate that to a temperature? Well, as long as you have proper clothing and a proper bag that match the temperature, then there's a good rule of thumb. And we'll have this on the show notes so you can refer back to it. If you're going to be in zero degree weather, then you'll need a pad with a seven R value rating. 10 degrees, you'll need six R value. 20 degrees, you'll need five. 30 degrees, you'll need four. 40 degrees, you'll need three. And 50 degrees, you'll need two. So it's about 10 degrees of difference per one of R value. So this is kind of working backwards from 70 degrees. So theoretically, with light clothing, I could sleep on 70 degree ground in 70 degree air and be comfortable. Like that's kind of the starting, the assumed starting point here. Technically, then, you would be thermally neutral if you did that. Yeah, so a 70 degree environment is the right environment for removing the body heat that you naturally produce at a rate that is neutral. So it's removing the heat at the same rate that you're producing the heat. And then if it was a 60 degree night, you would expect to need, well, a 60 degree sleeping bag, which would probably just be a blanket uh, with a one point R value pad or some kind of insulation underneath you. And then you just keep going, uh, you know, for every 10 degrees, add one to the R value. So if it was a 40 degree night, just kind of thinking through the formula here, then I might want to use something like a Thermarest Ridge Rest Pad because that has an R value of three. And then I could pair that with a really light sleeping bag. A 40 degree bag would be fine. And then just with a light base layer that I'd be wearing as well. And that's if you are a man that sleeps hot. If you're a woman who sleeps a little bit cool, then you would want to kind of play around with the numbers a little bit. Maybe get a 20 degree bag or a 30 degree bag, or maybe put on a couple extra layers and a hat. So you really need to know yourself to know how you'll react in these different thermally challenging environments. 
So that's good. If you know yourself from some experience, let's say that you've spent some nights that you know were 40 degree nights. Uh, you know what pad you slept on, and it was a, an R value of three, and you know what sleeping bag you used on those nights, and say it was a 40-degree bag, and you know if you slept a little too warm or a little too cold. So you can kind of adjust from there, and then you can use this formula to figure out, okay, on my upcoming backpacking trip, I expect temperatures to be around 20 degrees at night. So here's how far I need to adjust. Like, you start with this rule of thumb, adjust it for yourself, and then you can calculate from there to figure out, you know, if it's going to be a 20-degree night, well, you know how you sleep on a 40-degree night. So now you can calculate what additional insulation you'll need for a 20-degree night, even though you've maybe never experienced a 20-degree night before. And so you'll be prepared. And I think it's important to note that a tent only adds maybe 5 to 10 degrees to the equation, so it's not a good idea to count on the tent to provide a lot of insulation. It makes a lot more sense to up your insulation with clothing, sleeping bag, and pad than to count on your tent adding anything to your warmth. Well, Christmas is 10 days away, and so we are still thinking about gifts. The last couple episodes, we've shared a lot of gift-giving ideas, either things to give or how to give them. And we're taking it even further today by thinking about some gifts that don't even exist yet. But it would be really cool if they did. This is for the person who has everything. You get them nothing. So here are some gift ideas for them. <laughs> I don't know. What yeah, I'm think? just processing that. <laughs> <laughs> if someone already has everything. Right, then you get them a gift that doesn't exist, so it's nothing. So you write them a little card and say, I thought of the perfect gift for you. Too bad it doesn't exist. So I couldn't give it to you. But here's a card because it's the <laughs> thought that counts. Truly. The number one gift that does not exist yet is step charging batteries. You know when you're hiking on the trail, you're putting forth all that effort and it just evaporates. Wouldn't it be great if you could actually put that energy that you're expending into recharging your devices? Absolutely. We've had trouble really getting much energy out of solar panels. It's like they have to be sitting out in full sun all day, and a lot of the trips that we take are not in full sun, and then in the wintertime we don't have all day. The sun's only up for a few hours. So really the only option that we've come up with that really works is just a backup storage battery that you can use to recharge your devices. But man, if you could somehow just use that kinetic energy of hiking to keep your devices charged, it'd be great. The number two gift that doesn't exist yet is heated footbox sleeping bags. Big Agnes made a big splash a while ago with their light-up tents. So I'm wondering if someone can please start working on sleeping bags with a heated footbox. And the closest thing that I've experienced to having a heated footbox is the enlightened equipment quilt that I have. Instead of just being a rectangle quilt, it actually has a little pocket to stick your feet in, and it's dreamy. A little down pocket for your feet. The number three gift that doesn't exist yet is a peanut butter bladder. And that would be just like, you know, your platypus, but instead of being filled with water, it's filled with peanut butter and it has a tube that goes straight to your mouth. So they would have to formulate the peanut butter somehow so that it's less viscous, maybe more like a peanut butter milkshake. Mm. 
And this bladder would also be versatile in that it could hold maple syrup. Yeah. It could go straight in your mouth. Wow, that's some raw energy for your <laughs> hike. I think the closest thing we have today is those Justin's peanut butter packets. Yeah, those are good. Little individual servings, but uh, they are very tasty. The number four gift that doesn't exist yet is a helium-filled pack. Now, I saw recently Climate is working on air-filled frames, which I think is pretty cool. They have this little pump, and you can add air to your frame, so it provides that support without adding any weight. But the idea of a helium-filled pack means that it would just lighten your load just enough to kind of take the edge off. Maybe it would make it so you could pack, you know, a couple of books in your pack and not feel like you're carrying the weight of the world. But I've heard that there's a helium shortage. Have you heard that too? Yeah. The United States has a strategic helium reserve, or now it's called the National Helium Reserve. It's in Texas, I think. And it is being depleted and it will be empty by around the year 2020. And that's quite concerning until you understand why it's being depleted. Any guesses? Children's birthday parties. No. It's being depleted because Congress said so. <gasps> Congress passed a law years ago, back in the 90s, and then they've made a few updates to it, and basically decided that uh, the U.S. doesn't need its strategic helium reserve anymore, so they're drawing it down. And they're just allowing helium to move to the private market. That's all. So it's not like there's this depletion of helium. It's just the U.S. National Reserve is being drawn down and, and being closed. Now, the U.S. is by far the largest producer of helium in the world. And of course, helium, when it gets into the air, it just goes up through the atmosphere and escapes. And some people call it a finite resource. So they're saying, hey, once all of the helium on the Earth has escaped into the atmosphere, it is then going to escape into outer space, and it's gone. And so that does make me worry about a helium shortage until you learn how it's produced and where it comes from. So it is extracted from natural gas, anywhere from maybe half a percent to maybe three to five, maybe even 10% of the contents of raw natural gas is helium. And so they extract the helium in the natural gas extraction process. And natural gas, of course, in the United States is booming these days. As long as we have natural gas, we're going to have helium. If we run out of helium, it means we've also run out of natural gas and we've got some other big problems to deal with. And how is helium made in the first place? It's from radioactive decay of uranium and I think it's thorium. So as long as there are elements in the crust of the earth or below the crust that are decaying, they will create helium through atomic processes and there will be more helium being generated all the time or being, being made through nuclear decay. That is fascinating. So I think the bottom line is that there is not an actual helium shortage. It's just that the U.S. government is getting out of the helium business. And because of that, some prices will probably go up as it transitions to the private sector and more private sector generation has to come online. So the country of Qatar is uh, quickly growing its helium production capacity. Um, I think Iran is another source of helium that might be a little bit unstable for such a stable element. And to top it all off, if you look at the uses of helium, 
party balloons do not even show up in the pie chart. That's how small party balloons are in terms of overall helium usage. So if we were to have some helium-filled packs, I think it would also be just such a small fraction of the pie chart. Probably be okay. Now, would it make a difference in your pack weight? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll give it a shot. We'll, we'll try it. And the number five gift that does not exist, at least as far as I know, is an area wildlife scanner. And this would be the kind of thing that if you heard a little twig snapping in the night, you could turn on your area wildlife scanner and it would work through your tent walls and the animals would show up on this little screen and it would show you like what animals were in the area. So it would show like every little mouse, every little badger and woodchuck within a hundred yards. I'm glad this one doesn't exist. It would trigger your imagination like nothing else. <laughs> you would be awake all night. I don't know. I think it would shut down my imagination. I would be like, oh, okay, there's 20 mice surrounding my tent. That's all it is. No oh. big deal. Well, okay. And you would know what's making the sounds, right? Like it's accounted for, so you can go to sleep. And then if a bear showed up on the scanner. I would stay in my tent. Yeah, I guess so. Make noise. <laughs> Make noise. That's right. Well, there you have it. Uh, the one I'm most excited for on this top five list is step charging batteries. That would just be fantastic. How about you? What would be at the top of your list? Oh, boy, I think I would like the area wildlife scanner and the peanut butter bladder, also the maple syrup bladder. And if that wildlife scanner is very heavy, you're going to need a helium filled pack to put it in. <laughs> All right. I got my wish list ready for next Christmas. Cool. For today's Summit Gear Review, right in the rain. So many hikers and backpackers love to journal or to take notes. And if you've ever had your journal soaked by a sudden downpour, or you've accidentally dropped it in water, or you've had a leaky water bottle or bladder soak your journal, then you know how frustrating plain old paper can be. Traditional paper just can't hold up to damp conditions. Last winter on episode 14, we reviewed Jace all-weather paper. And really kind of the quote that I remember from your review of that paper was, you had one job, man. <laughs> I was so frustrated. I love taking notes when I'm out backpacking. I love, you know, writing down my thoughts and changes that I'd make for next time and ideas. It's just the perfect place to collect thoughts. So when I discovered Right in the Rain, I was so excited to review it. And I can't believe it's been almost, what, 10 months since we promised a review of Right in the Rain. But we have the perfect weather for it today. So we're doing the review today. The Northwest has been pelted over the last, I don't know, pelted is not the right word, pummeled. Uh, Washington State especially. Uh, both of us grew up in Washington State. And, you know, every year in November, it was like, I mean, there was a word for it, the Thanksgiving Day storm. Mm -hmm. Because it comes every year somewhere around Thanksgiving and threatens to completely destroy your Thanksgiving dinner because we just kind of expected that the power would probably go out. And you just cross your fingers and hope that you can cook the turkey. And this year especially, Washington just got pounded with a storm. Well, it's not surprising that Right in the Rain is based in Washington. No, that's not surprising <laughs> at all, is it? In fact, it was founded by a man with the name of J.L. Darling. Oh, that's cute. I love that name. 
So right in the rain is waterproof paper. They make paper in every size, shape, format, just about any type of paper or any need you would have. They have paper that would match that. They sell pads, notebooks. Um, they also do loose leaf paper, spiral bound, and stapled journals. The paper itself has a special coating on it, and it's different than other waterproof papers that I've used. I've also used some paper by UST that is a little bit slick and shiny. And the Right in the Rain paper looks like traditional paper. You know, you can still tear it out of a journal. It acts like paper. So there's something special about it that makes it so it is completely water repellent. In fact, you can even use it underwater. You can write on it underwater and you can write on it when it's dry. It, you can write on it with rain sprinkling down on it. It's truly right in the rain paper. The paper itself is pretty tough. So the paper that they use is probably just a little bit sturdier than just classic printer paper or the copy paper. It's just a little bit more tough. You can use a pencil on it. You can use a ballpoint pen, which works really well when the paper is dry. However, if you're writing underwater, then the ballpoint pen will skip. Right in the Rain also sells an all-weather pen, which is truly an all-weather pen. It's great. I'm just thinking if I'm writing underwater, I've probably got some other issues that I'm dealing with uh, besides the fact that I'm using a ballpoint pen. I think it's for people who actually work underwater. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to think about. So someone who goes diving and is doing some research and maybe it's kind of hard to use their smartphone underwater, but here's this paper with an all-weather pen that they can literally pull out while they're underwater and write with it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the only things that don't work on there are gel pens, any water-based markers, you know, like most highlighters wouldn't work on there. You're not going to be able to do your watercolor painting in there because it will just repel the water and acrylic paint also. So really, it's just for pencils and right in the rain, special pens. And then if you're going to use it when it's dry, then standard ballpoint pens are fine or permanent markers. But if you're going to be using it in the rain, I would recommend just bring along a pencil. Pencils are fantastic on backpacking trips because you can sharpen them with your knife. They never really run out of ink. You're always going to have a writing utensil that you can use. As far as mask goes, the smallest little journal is three inches by four and a half inches. And then the largest paper that they offer is a ream of copy paper. And then they also have 11 by 17 paper. Or for our people across the pond, A3 and A4. A4 is uh, really similar to a U.S. letter, 8.5 by 11. It's a little taller and not quite as wide. Uh, A3, if I remember right, that means that it's double an A4. So it's going to be like an 11 by 17, uh, approximately. So if you do get a ream of copy paper, that is the perfect thing to print out a topo map on if you happen to have a, a topo map that you want to print out. Just make sure you don't use water-based ink. I would just wash right off. It would. It would repel it. Another benefit of this paper is that it is archival. So if you wanted to track your journeys, your backpacking trips, and save those, this paper is going to last through time. It's used by universities to track all of the research that they do when they're out in the field. 
Right before we started recording this episode, you told me that the University of Washington has a series of uh, journals or logs, I guess, dating back 40 years that were all recorded on Right in the Rain notebooks. Yeah, they were all about these penguins. How do you say it? I don't know. Magellanic penguins. Yeah, like from the Straits of Magellan. I don't know. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's really cool. And, And this company has been around for nearly 100 years. They were founded in 1916. And I got to say, as a side note, um, they have just a super cute style. I love the logo. It's this handwritten cursive. Like they have that really consistent styling throughout. It just feels like they've been around a long time. Yeah, just like a classic old American company. For investment, you can pick up some Right in the Rain notebooks for a few dollars. I found some at our local Ace Hardware, so these aren't difficult to find. And of course, if you go online, then you can find all the different sizes and styles. You can find the writing implements that they sell along with their notebooks. My personal favorite is the mini stapled notebook, and it's about three and a fourth by four and five eighths, really small. They sell it for $7 for a three pack on their website. And it is the perfect size. It fits in your pocket. It's sturdy, it's small, and you can take little notes as you walk along the trail. While I was testing the Right in the Rain notebook, I never felt like I was testing it because I just used it and it never didn't perform. I used it in all the rainy conditions on our Redwood trip, which there was just about every single rainy condition possible on that trip. It was perfect. Cool. So if you need paper that truly performs when it's wet, then we really recommend Write in the Rain. Write is spelled R-I-T-E. So go to writeintherain.com or uh, follow the link in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 057. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, Waterproof Shoe Topper. Now, one of the things I wanted to put on our top five list today of top five gifts that don't exist was shoebrellas. I thought that would just be the perfect little thing to protect your little toes from getting all squeaky and wet. It's kind of in the same vein as those little wiper blades for headlights. Really cute and useful. Oh, and and useful. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Just cute. (laughs) Well, when it rains, we have gear to protect our head, our pack, our shirt, our pants, but the shoes kind of get left behind, and I really don't like the feeling of waterlogged shoes. Some people are totally fine hiking like that, but I think if you don't have to hike with wet feet, then you shouldn't. So on our backpacking trip to the Redwoods in September, it rained a lot, and I knew it would. There was heavy rain in the forecast. We experienced that along with intermittent rain, light rain, lots of mist, blowing rain, and then that pre-rain spitting that comes from the sky where you kind of feel a smack on your face and you know it's going to dump any minute. So on that trip, I packed a little experiment that I wanted to share today, and the experiment worked. So what I did was I took two pieces of plastic, just the the Glad Press and Seal, which is really similar to Saran Wrap, but it's just a little bit thicker and a little bit sturdier. And I took two pieces of that that were big enough to cover the top and the sides of my shoes. 
And then I took two hair bands. This is starting to sound like those camp shoes that we shared a couple weeks ago. Yeah, just take two hair bands or two rubber bands and strap on this plastic wrap on top of your shoes. I wore these for hours at a time because it rained for hours at a time and they were somewhat loose. They weren't really tight around my shoe. And because they were loose, there was just enough ventilation so that my feet didn't get all sweaty, but the plastic completely covered the top of my shoe so that the rain didn't get inside. And they worked perfectly. It was great. I didn't have wet toes. I was so happy because it it rained. (laughs) It rained and rained and rained on that trip. There would have been probably no time on that trip where I could have just set my shoes out to dry. None that I can think of except for when we ended the trip at the Rogue River. But that would have been a long time to have soggy feet. So you can also do this little hack with a couple small squares of an old shower curtain or a couple of pieces cut out from like a bag of boxed breakfast cereal, you know, that kind of tough plastic, and just strap it onto the top of your feet with a couple rubber bands or a couple hair bands. Now, during that trip, we did walk into Denny's, and the moment I stepped into the restaurant, I realized that I still had my little plastic shoe toppers on my feet, and I was a little bit self-conscious at that point. They're not pretty, but they're very functional, and they kept my feet dry. It's a great way to go. Uh, Just something that kind of keeps the majority of the water off of your shoes. It's okay if a little bit gets to them because that'll evaporate out. Um, I took a totally different approach on that trip. When it started raining, I put away my hiking shoes and I took out my zero shoes, which are just minimalist sandals. So it was kind of a completely different approach where I just allowed my feet to get wet, but no socks that I would have to dry out and no shoes that I would have to dry out. And I just wore those on the rainy day. And, you know, so that worked too. Of course, if it had been cold, then I probably would have been miserable. But since the temperature was not very cold, uh, it worked out great for me. Yeah, I was really interested in how that was going to work out for you. I thought it was really brave and a really, I guess, open approach to dealing with the weather. Yeah, if you can't beat them, join them, that kind of thing, where it's (laughs) like, if you can't keep your feet dry, then why not just uh, let them get wet? But of course, without socks and shoes, it means they dry out very quickly once the rain goes away. So Mm -hmm. it worked. And then I noticed at night when it finally did cool down a little bit and we got into the tent, putting those socks on was like just a really enjoyable moment. It felt great at the end of the day. We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Robert Searns. He said, In a world of constant change and flux, where being in the moment seems increasingly harder to attain, there is also something about the notion of traveling along a pathway under our own power that reconnects us and indeed binds together all humanity. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
Wow, it's been so much fun. That's great. Now that sounded really dumb, but anyway. <laughs> the energy goes into this little battery storage thing. No. Battery? A battery. Is that what it's called? The battery storage thing is a battery. <laughs> yep. That's just... Okay. Every time I go into Ace Hardware, I walk over to the right in the rain section. We're cutting all this out. I do. I walk over to the right in the rain display and I'm like, oh, it still works. Really?